We are going to finish up with Tolian and Chavichian this week, uh, do some email, and then we're going to talk about if uh, Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro are uh, America's new evangelists. This is Matthew Garnett. Welcome to In Layman's Terms. The only churches that will thrive in any meaningful way going forward will not be castles of purity where only the morally fit feel comfortable, but rather basements of grace where all are embraced and forgiven. Places where sin doesn't shock and grace still amazes. It's better than the way it's being run. All right, so we are going to continue this week. We're going to finish up with uh, Tolian Chavichin. There's a couple of points he made last week in the opening sermon for the sanctuary that I think are worthy of being covered. Um, we're also going to uh, address an email that's come in. But before we get to all that, let me all, let me uh, welcome everyone listening on KNNA The Cross in Nebraska. Uh, thank you to Pastor Poppy and everyone out there who is uh, giving us that opportunity. So welcome to all of you listening on KNNA The Cross. Also, thank you to Steve Kozar and themessedupchurch.com. Go to themessedupchurch.com if you want to get the skinny on North American Christianity because, um, you know, quite honestly, you know, this, uh, this sort of thing, this is what we do here is we critique North American Christianity. We, we critique Christianity in general. And it's... Um, it's it's worthy of critique. That's that's the thing with us and the new atheists and everybody else who wants to critique uh, Christianity is it's worthy of critique. And you can find the best critiques of Christianity and the best arguments for Christianity, in my opinion, at themessedupchurch.com. Thank you to Steve Kozar and everyone there who has included us. Finally, and most importantly, go to laymanstermsradio.org. Donate five, ten, or fifteen dollars per podcast that you listen to to our Kenya Wall Project. Um, I do fine. I own a house. I live like a king compared to most people in this world, and so do you. And the least you could do is donate five, ten, or fifteen dollars per podcast that you listen to to our Kenya Wall Project to 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 Kenyan students who are studying the Catechism, studying God's Word, and, and trying to make their country. A better place. Um, we've uh, we we're we're doing very well with this, but we could have this done next week if everyone decided to do what I'm talking about, or go to our GoFundMe and give a one-time fifty-dollar donation. We want to drill this well. We are going to drill this well, and um, we just need we just need you guys to step up. There's there's enough of you out there. Um, and I know you appreciate the podcast, all that stuff. You've just got to make the move. Just choose for one month's time to donate $5 per podcast um, every time you listen. That's what we're asking for. It's, it's not that big a deal. You, you spend more money than that on coffee. You know all the lines. Just go donate to this. And I think we're, we're going to spend some more time um, in the coming months showing you the video of these children having to go to local, uh, you, know, you know, having to go out to their their water spigots, having to go to, to, to their local streams and rivers to draw water so they can get through a school day. All right. 
And I think we're going to start showing some of that stuff so you can see what's going on there. And um, we need to get this well drilled. Just needs to happen. All right. So please donate to the Kenya Wall Project at laymanstermsradio.org. Um, and uh, yes, please do that. That's, uh, that's really uh, something we can do that um, we're, you know, we're, we're all just kind of listening, you know, we're listening to stuff on the internet. We're uh, benefiting from these things. We're benefiting from the technology, the, 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 the forward progress of humanity and all these things. And the least we could do is help those who are not quite there to, to benefit from all this. Okay, so let's get to the program here. We're going to start off with an email from my friend Bill and uh that that addresses our last podcast so here this goes all right so we got an email from my buddy bill that was very helpful i thought and i, I wanted to respond to that on on the air uh bill says first i in uh, and, and he's actually uh, talking about our last episode where we covered uh part of tolian opening sermon uh for the sanctuary and what he says is i agree with every main point you made uh, he, sh- he Tolian Tavichin, shouldn't be in a pulpit. Law and gospel must be preached and each, each in their fullness. His kind of uh, Narsa gospel, etc. Uh, no columns with that. In fact, you absolutely knocked it out of the park by stressing that over and over again. Uh, the motivation power behind the fruit of the Spirit uh, via the gospel is very important. Frankly, I think the biggest problem... Uh, is that uh, with the clips you played of Chavichin is that he never preached the law at all. However, Bill continues, uh, the way a few of your points were made could have been made better, specifically on the points of him wanting his church, quote unquote, under the banner of Tetelestai. You, you threw that out. In, in short, the table of duties uh, was not finished, yet even not Liking a guy as I do, I don't really think you can link one with the other. Also, his wanting to welcome the misfits, another fallacy popped up. Namely, the bit about how bad a sinner uh, has to be to be accepted. He never really makes that point, at least in the clips you showed. So perhaps uh, he said as much. Long and short, I've noticed lately that you've begun to insert things into what people are uh, saying and you're critiquing what you're inserting. Uh, while I understand the need to unpack what's between the lines, as it were, I'd like to encourage you to preface such things with uh, with caveats. Okay, that all of those points are, are well taken. And I think what Bill is pointing out here is that even though um, our opponents might not be playing by the rules, we have to play by the rules. And so even though... We might know underneath all of uh, Tolianchevich's nonsense that uh, certain things might be going on. Like, for instance, I, I, I am very, very confident that the people of my church, my Lutheran church here um, in my hometown, would not fit the criteria for the kind of people that Tolianchevich want to be a part of his church because they're all fairly pristine people. They don't, uh, they're very faithful to their wives, they're good family men, they have lots of children, etc., 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 and their children are very well behaved, generally speaking. Um, while that might not fit the criteria of people that Chavichin wants at his church, um, he really never comes out and says that, that such a person wouldn't be welcome at the church, etc., etc., um, 
but I have the feeling that people who who want to uh, live that kind of life, and I I am one of those. I, I, I you know I I want to live my life according to the commands of Holy Scripture. That's the kind of church I want to attend. I, I, I'm not so interested in, in attending a church of misfits as I am attending a church uh, where people will hold me accountable to th- the call of the gospel, which is to repent and do better. Not only accept the forgiveness of sins, that's gospel, but also work toward my sanctification. That's law. There's the, it has to, there has to be both. So, so uh, Bill's point is well taken. Um, yeah, I'm frustrated with Chavichin. I think Bill is frustrated with Chavichin, and it's uh, but the but the way to approach this is is not to uh, mischaracterize it. It's, it's not to to break the eighth commandment, which I'm very tempted to do, <laughs> because I um, with Chavichin and many others, even in my own denomination, uh, that I think are. Um, that are going the route of antinomianism with the gospel because they think it's attractive and popular. And in fact, many of the, uh, many of the, uh, most popular, uh, parachurch organizations, shall we say within my denomination are kind of going this, this antinomian route. Um, while it's, while it's easy to attribute motives to them, we, we have to have proof. We have to have proof. And that's difficult to come by. We can speculate on it, but I think Bill makes a great point that that we have to be super careful about that, and we have to we have to we have to play by the rules. We do, um, and that's hard to do because, in, in a lot of ways, I am uh, suspicious of what is going on. And I think Bill makes a great point to say that that's the way I should put it. I am suspicious that. Uh, one of the leading families of the church I go to, uh, if they were to show up at Chavichin's church, would not be exactly welcomed there because um, they live a, quote, pristine life. That would be the way to put that, to say that I'm suspicious of that. Can't prove it conclusively, but I'm suspicious. So, Bill, I appreciate the email. Thank you, my friend. Bill, Bill's a good friend of mine, and, and um, I'm it just incredibly grateful uh, that he's listening and checking up on me. So thanks again, Bill. And and hopefully uh, I approach that in, in the way you were looking for me to approach it. Okay, let's uh, move on here. Well, for too many people that I've talked to, it's the last. The church tends to encourage perfectionism rather than point to the one who was perfect for us. It does. It tends to encourage us to stay on this performance treadmill that the way God feels about you is dependent on what you do, how well you can perform, how holy you are. The way the world feels about you is dependent on what you do, how you perform. The church ought to be the one place in all of society where perfectionism is discouraged because we point to the one away from us who was perfect on our behalf. He is our hope. He is our salvation. He is our rest. He is the one who came to set us free from things we may not even realize we're enslaved to. Okay, so let's... um... Let's talk about perfectionism and performance versus sanctification and love here. 
I'll agree that there are churches who do a very poor job of emphasizing the gospel. That's part of the problem with North American evangelicalism is that we talk about performance, we talk about how we behave, and we forget about the forgiveness of sins, which, um, according to Holy Scripture, that's what animates, that's, that's the fuel that gives us the ability to um to do to to conform to what holy scripture demands of us to 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 the to the way god made us made us see here's the thing here's the struggle of the human being we know we were created to behave a certain way yet um, we know that there is something standing between us and the way we, re- we were created to behave. And what we're looking for in this life um, is, one, we're looking to be reconciled with our Creator. See, that's the thing that I, that I think... that, that um, talk, Okay, so a couple things. Um, it seems like that North American Christianity is bent toward this way that Tolian is talking about where, um, where we're so focused on performance and, and these sorts of things. Okay. That relates to this fear that the one who created us um, rejects us. Um. And that, that's something that Chavichin, I guarantee you, in this new sanctuary church, well, can't guarantee it, but I speculate, based on Bill's email, I speculate he will never talk about the fact that um, the one who created us, we're, we're not worried about him so much. We're not worried about being reconciled to him. We're not worried about hell anymore in this day and time. We're just not, we're worried about this temporal life and how we can make this temporal life the best we can possibly make it. And that's what Chavichin's talking about. He's not talking about being reconciled with the one who created us. See. Um, And I will agree that North American Christianity does a poor job of talking about this. They, they, they're, they're the more focused on reformation of life, which is, which is an, an integral part of Christianity. Reformation of life is crucial. That is what 50 to 75% of Holy Scripture talks about is us living in accord with how we were created see um if you don't live in accord with how you're created you're gonna you're just gonna you're gonna have a bad life plain and simple and we want to live in accord with how we were created and so how do we do that it's animated by the gospel that's the stuff that chavichin should be talking about because he is not living a life in accord with how he was created. He's doing something else here.
Okay. So, yes, I agree. North American Christianity has done a poor job of giving fuel to our the, the reformation of life. However, the answer is not to abandon that teaching. It's not to abandon sanctification. See, that's what Chavichin, in my opinion, is trying to do here. He, he is ignoring sanctification in favor of justification. He is, in fact, confusing justification with sanctification. That's what I think is going on here. Instead of focusing on, you know, he says, instead of focusing on the one who was perfect for us, I mean, this is, this is textbook confusion of law and gospel. This, this whole sermon really is that way. We forget that to properly distinguish between the law and gospel is to distinguish between justification and sanctification. See, and Chavichin is not doing that at all. What he calls performance very often isn't. It's just people trying to do better for their family, do better for their employer, do better for their children. And unfortunately, in a lot of ways, you get the feeling that Chavichin is completely speaking from his own experience. A Christian is animated by the gospel to love others. That means obedience to the commands of Holy Scriptures. Pastors must talk about obedience if they want to preach the Bible. Again, 50 to 75% of the Bible talks about this. Again, it's animated by the gospel, of course, but it can't be neglected because other pastors have abused. They've fallen off in the other ditch. You can't fall off in the other side of the ditch. If pastors don't want, uh, if pastors don't do this, their church will become confusing and chaotic. No question about it. Remember the reductio we talked about last week, where what's what's Javitchin going to do when one of his elders is involved in an affair? What's he going to do about that? The sad thing is, some of the sanctuary will actually take Chavichin seriously and start doing this stuff. They'll start, they'll start going down that reductio until they, it, it's, 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 it's not going to be just a mental exercise for them. They've got to actually figure this out in practice. They're, 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 they're going to take what Chavichin is saying and go down that road in practice until they figure out, oh, um, this doesn't actually work. See, the really sad thing is when you absolute absolutize the gospel like this, you actually end up watering it down. You're not preaching the law in its full force like it's something to be obeyed. You water it down when you absolutize the gospel. And when you water down the law, you water down the gospel. All right, let's move on.
Uh, the only churches, and I believe this with all of my heart, okay? Now, I've been in this for a long time. I have been a deep insider from the moment I came into this world in terms of the church and the Christian community at large. I've seen from the front row ministry on a very large and global scale. I have been able to experience relationships with world-class Christian leaders and organizations. I've seen it all. I've experienced it all as a deep insider. And I'm telling you, I, I, I could not say this more emphatically, the only churches that will thrive in any meaningful way going forward will not be castles of purity where only the morally fit feel comfortable, but rather basements of grace where all are embraced and forgiven. Places where sin doesn't shock and grace still amazes. Wherever my wife and I have traveled, wherever Stacy and I have gone, uh, churches we have visited, people that we have talked to, cities that we've been in. The churches that are thriving are the places that are real. The places where people feel the freedom to talk about the harder things in life and to tell the truth about themselves without fear of rejection. I've said this numerous times, and many of you have heard me say it, um, but uh, recovery institutions in society, like Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, have figured out that the best kind of people to reach people who are breaking down are people who have broken down. In fact, you would never, ever find a non-alcoholic leading an AA meeting, ever. What qualifies them to lead the meeting is their struggle with alcohol because they can relate. That's my hope and prayer for all of us that as we broken people living in a broken world with other broken people live life together, we will be able to minister to one another in some deep and profound ways because we have a level of self-awareness that is Apostle Paul-like in nature, when at the end of his life, the end of his life, this guy planted, you know, hundreds of churches, okay? The Apostle Paul, he wrote half the New Testament. And at the end of his life, and at the end of his life, the, as he is getting closer and closer to God, what does he say about himself? I am the chief of sinners. The only churches. Uh, St. Paul at the end of his life was not slaughtering Christians. That's an important point to make. So let's let's talk about St. Paul and alcoholics and all that sort of thing that Chavichin's trying to bring out here. Um so if you if you look at the church I go to from the outside, it looks polished. It looks very pristine. But if you take the time if you take the time to get to know the people in my church, you'll find out that they're not polished and pristine. And they're more than willing to admit that. But 
the thing of it is, is we all strive to love one another in the best way we, we can. And we hold each other accountable to that. Okay. So let's talk about this whole notion of you don't have to be an alcoholic to lead an AA meeting. Um, many people who are not addicts lead AA meetings. Uh, but 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 let's talk about that AA person who was a former alcoholic. Can they lead an AA meeting and go on, you know, just the occasional weekend bender? See, that's the idea. The, the, the AA leader who has struggled with addiction is somebody who has overcome that addiction and is living a reformed life. See... What Chevichin is preaching here is about as close. And again, hearkening back to Bill's email, I'm not sure this is what Chevichin is saying, but this is about as close as a pastor can come to say that you have to go out and experience the sin before you can really preach to anybody who is struggling with the sin. That's what I'm getting out of this. And that's bad advice. Chavichin talks about where sin doesn't shock and grace still amazes. Sin should shock us. If sin stops shocking us, then something's gone extremely awry. Because what's what sin is is a violation of command uh, of the commands of Holy Scripture. And a violation of love. When somebody sins, that should shock us. It shows we care. When somebody sins, we... Oh no, somebody has sinned. That shocks us. And we say, no, it shouldn't be that way. So here's an example, an extreme example. A child is kidnapped and murdered and you say, mm, I'm not shocked. That's sin. Shouldn't that sin shock us? Shouldn't any sin shock us? We should be shocked by sin. And why should we... If sin doesn't shock, then we can't be amazed by grace. God rescued us from death and hell and adopted us as his sons and daughters without doing any without us doing anything to earn or deserve that. Isn't that amazing enough? I mean, that that's that's where grace is amazing is that we deserve this eternal punishment, but yet Christ took that upon himself. That's where grace is amazing. Not in this temporal life. Not that we shouldn't suffer the temporal punishments for sin, but that we are spared the eternal punishments for sin. But this isn't true for Tolian, evidently. 
He doesn't mention that, not once in his sermon. Notice he doesn't actually preach the gospel here. He doesn't contrast that with the law. And that's why I appreciate Bill's sermon so much, because Tolian doesn't preach the law at all in this sermon. And if he doesn't preach the law, he can't properly preach the gospel. He doesn't touch on the forgiveness of sins. And he definitely doesn't touch on the topic of hell. Okay, so you see the problems there. So let's frame this up a little bit. There's there's a few ways to think about this. And to frame it up. You can think of it the Romanist way, which conflates and confuses justification and sanctification in the direction of sanctification. God gets us started, we have to finish it. You can think of it in the Lutheran way, which is the right way, I think, that distinguishes justification and sanctification. Justification, Christ does it all to secure our adoption and our entrance into heaven and sanctification that we're, that because of that, we because we're not trying to earn heaven anymore, we're trying to earn God's favor, we're not trying to earn our way into the family of God, we are now free to love others without motive. We're not trying to earn anything here. I do something for you. I love you just because I love you, not because I'm trying to earn something. That's the Lutheran way. The gospel reductionist way, i.e. Tullian, and unfortunately many in my denomination that are very, very popular, they conflate and confuse these two ideas. And unfortunately, they end up being unconcerned with obedience to the commands of Holy Scripture. And they end up trying to somehow uh, give you this idea that this life should be easy. Anyway, so we've got to leave that for now. We're going to move on to um, uh, William Lane Craig and this idea of Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson being our greatest evangelists here in North America. Let's uh, let's let's move on to that. A lot of people say, well, look at this. A Christian apologetics seems to be failing because two non-Christians these days are being used to bring people back into the fold or bringing people to Christ. A young Jewish man, hmm. Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson, you know. So what gives? Why is it that they're having all the success and actually pointing people to Christianity? That's what's so strange about it. The fact that people like Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson are more effective in drawing people toward Christ or the kingdom isn't a failure of the theoretical discipline, apologetics. If anything, it would be a failure of the practical discipline, evangelism. Namely, we're not doing our evangelism as effectively. We need to adopt, perhaps, a more invitational and exploratory approach like Jordan Peterson um, than a preaching and dogmatic approach. All right, so um, what what's being missed here is the power of God's word. Okay, so Shapiro and Peterson aren't drawing people to Christ. 
Um, I'm not sure if um, Craig misspoke there or just what is going on. But Peterson and Shapiro are not necessarily drawing people to Christ. Because if you listen to Peterson and Shapiro, they're, they're talking about how we should live. They're talking about law. And they're not giving us the fuel, the power to fulfill that law. See, this is a good contrast to Chivichin's preaching. Are they getting people more interested in religion? Sure, of course. They're getting people more interested in that, but they are not giving them what they need to uh, sustain that lifestyle. It's a case of, it's, it's, it's one of these situations where, so I've got a 17-year-old daughter where I can, I can tell her and tell her and tell her and tell her, but if Ben Shapiro says it, right, I, I talk to her about dating all the time. And I say, and I say Amelia, you know, um, we're not a family who dates uh, because of this, that, and the other reason. But then Ben Shapiro comes along and says, oh, I would never tell my children to date. See, then she's going to listen to Ben Shapiro. What's really going on here? It's not their approach. It's not their approach. What is being evoked here is that Ben Shapiro and especially Jordan Peterson are using God's word. They, they, they are calling upon God's word and God's word has power. It has power. In the beginning was the word. God said, let there be light. And when God's word is being evoked, there's power in that. And that's really what's going on here. Is that these men inadvertently, maybe not inadvertently, but they, but they are calling upon God's word and that has power. And that's really what's going on here. Their, their popularity, their um, status in, in American culture, in North American culture, is being coupled with God's word. And really, what, what's more powerful? God's, God's word is being spoken. And that, that's really where the power is. See, that's what's, that's what's going on. And so, um, it's, <laughs> it, it's a situation where, um, you know, all along, us evangelicals have said, it's God's word, it's God's word, it's God's word. But some people who are mm, wishy-washy on whether it's God's word or not are saying it's God's word. And um, there's been some response to that. Some, some very good response. And does that lead to other things? Can we take that to positive places? Of course we can. But Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro are not doing evangelism. They are not. They are finding that God's word has power. 
that's what is really fascinating about Jordan Peterson and Ben Shapiro is that they are finding that, hey, there is power in God's word. That's what's fascinating about all this. Now, I want to just underline the point I made before. Okay. I would say that that would be a measure of the success of evangelism. All right. All right. But that's not the measure of the success of apologetics. If apologetics is a theoretical discipline, the measure of the success of apologetics would be the formulation and defense of sound arguments for the existence of God and his decisive self-revelation in Jesus. That would be the measure of the success of apologetics. Has this theoretical discipline done an effective job? And by effective, I mean formulating sound, cogent arguments um, for Christian truth claims. And what she's talking about here is success in praxis. That is to say, evangelists' success in inducing openness among non-believers. Okay, so so we're talking about apologetics versus evangelism. Apologetics sh- should be measured by how many it keeps in the faith rather than how many it draws to the faith. That's what apologetics should be measured by. Um, now, Craig goes on later, and rightly so, to talk about this. Apologetics is a defense of the faith. So what what Craig does um, fairly well, it, it, especially when he debates the new atheists, because when he debates men like Sam Harris or... Um, uh, uh, ah, when he debates the new atheists... What he does a great job of is showing that the def- the Christian defense, the Christian faith, can be defended, and that tells Christians, "Hey, I, I'm you know, I'm not out here on some intellectual uh, island. I'm not alone in this. I can defend my faith." Apologetics is meant to defend, namely for believers to survive this onslaught of attacks. And Craig is is great for that. He does a, 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 a very, very, very good job of presenting apologetics in a way that helps Christians defend their faith and that and that's really where he should go so this so, so his whole line here of apologetics versus evangelism i think is in in a lot of ways wrong-headed he should be talking about how what he does is strengthen christians faith in the cogency of uh their religion that's really what craig does an excellent job of um, does he, you know, is, is he winning people over? Yeah, I think he is. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, but at the same time, um, what, what Craig should really be emphasizing is not that, you know, this theoretical, you know, apologetics is this theoretical thing and evangelism is something else. And, 
Jordan Peterson and uh, Ben Shapiro are doing this these these great job this great job of uh, uh, of uh, being evangelists and maybe we should adopt some of their approaches. I mean that's kind of what Craig go where Craig goes here, which is kind of bizarre. Um, I don't really think we need to adopt uh, Ben Shapiro's or Jordan Peterson's approach to evangelism at all. However, what Craig should be pointing out is that apologetics helps people. This is catechesis. This is why I'm a Lutheran. This is why I love Lutheranism is because we teach our children how to keep their faith. And that's that's what I would love for Craig to come out and say here is that what I do, my whole purpose is to help Christians keep their faith. And if it helps to draw others to the Christian faith, fantastic. That's great. And maybe that's maybe that's what Craig is saying here with this distinction of this, you know, theoretical idea of apologetics versus evangelism, that sort of thing. Maybe that's what he's trying to do. But I wish he would really come out and clearly say, hey, what we try to do is keep Christians in the faith in hopes that they will have families and raise children that will keep them in the faith using these apologetic methods. And hey, if it draws others in, great. That's, that's fantastic. But that's really not what our aim is. Our aim is to help Christians defend their faith. That's what apologetics should be about. Okay, going to take a short break here, um, and we'll be back in just a bit. Anybody who says apologetics never converted anybody just is not even looking. She says, I know for a fact that these quiet, unsung, $1 apologists every day are interacting online, friends and neighbors, and in, in forums using apologetics in their evangelism. And that's one of the main fruits of the apologetics renaissance. I agree with her. I, I'm glad to see this happening. I see good apologetics in philosophy, Bill, in the comment sections. And I don't even feel pressured to go in there and put anything myself because 15 people did it ahead of me <laughs> on some of the things that yeah. I see. I like to fire off an answer. That's some real fruit right there that you see this intellectual grounding and this apologetics renaissance as people are interacting you know, yes, today. Right. So she says this may not be the, have the eye-catching op-eds and splashy pieces of investigative journalism, but it's going on and it's happening. And, you know, Bill, I never hear apologetics doesn't work. I mean, I've never had anybody tell me that or write me that or anything. I know one guy, we, we did a podcast on his book a while back. He wrote a book that apologetics doesn't work or something like that. It was an apologetic against apologetics, <laughs> you know, the whole thing. But other than that, I see people just electrified in their faith. Oh, their I, I, I do, too. I see Christians strengthen and... Um, encouraged in their faith and then also we see these non-believers coming to faith in Christ because they've heard a robust defense of the truth of the Christian faith. All right, so this is what I'm getting at in a lot of ways here. That um, 
that apologetics is for us one dollar apologists and thanks for the shout out because i'm i'm one of those people uh, <laughs> so we we've got in layman's terms but if i was going to start another podcast man one dollar apologists man that would be a great name for a podcast um so the point being while jordan peterson and ben shapiro might pique some curiosity you know I'm doing the the hard work of apologetics here on the ground. Us one dollar apologists. I like that. I'm so glad that uh, that Craig's co-host there. I, I wish I knew his name. Gave us that shout out because you know we 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 get online. We start we start talking with people. Uh, we start uh, interacting in these social media forums. And that's that's really where the the apologetics. If you want to talk about apologetics, drawing people into the faith, that's where it really happens. And then on top of that, we can talk to our fellow brothers and sisters about how this works out in the field. And you'd be surprised about how many people, uh, my brothers and sisters in Christ, just uh, are wondering. Yeah, they 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 agree with these apologetic methods uh, but do they really work out in the field uh, most of what Peterson and Shapiro do with the Bible is butchery it's it, it, it um, Jordan Peterson butchers Holy Scripture in a lot of ways um, he talks about approaching it from a psychological standpoint uh, but it's ironic while he decries postmodernism, uh, he's taking he's really taking a postmodern approach to Holy Scripture to say that well, what Holy Scripture has to say to us doesn't doesn't really matter so much what the authors intended, what the authorial meaning of Holy Scripture is. It's what we as modern day people can draw out of it see that's that's a complete postmodern approach to holy scripture that doesn't what doesn't matter what the author's intended doesn't really matter even who the author is see and that's that's the thing and, and i would be interested to have a to see a conversation between jordan peterson and ben shapiro where they talked about does the Bible give us God's voice. Where's God's voice in all of this? See, that's that's the topic that has yet to be touched on by these men. Where do we find God's voice? And are we allowed to psychologize God's voice? That's the idea. Or do we need to figure out what figure out first of all if this is God's voice we don't have the right to overlay our interpretation upon it we've got to figure out what God meant by what he said see that's the idea that's objectivism that's finding the ultimate objective source of truth to find God's voice and to understand what it says and what it means. See, 
that's where Peterson and Shapiro miss the boat. And they ultimately end up defeating their own purpose by putting the interpretation of God's voice, God's revelation in the hands of those who would interpret it. So it's uh, it's a mis- mismatch, it's a mismox of, of what's going on here. Yeah, it's nice that some these public figures are taking the scriptures somewhat seriously. But they but they aren't winning anybody. They're actually defeating their own purpose in a lot of ways. And it's us one dollar apologists. I love that. <laughs> I wish I could rename the podcast that in so many ways. Like I said before, I'm a I'm a one dollar apologist. I'm out there doing the work on the ground to talk about these things. See? So here's the deal. Um, if we're going to get to something object, uh, ultimately objective, we have to have God's voice. We've talked about this many times. We've got to have the authority of God's voice. And so the thing of it is, the problem I have with Peterson and even Shapiro in some ways, but he hasn't talked about this too much, but Peterson is psychologizing holy scripture and he's he's overlaying his interpretation of holy scripture and trying to draw some sort of meaning out of it which seems to be attracting a bunch of people that's great wow jordan peterson's understanding of holy scripture is attracting people to understand the bible well here's the problem Here's the here's the question. See, you guys have heard me talk about how how I would put the question to Sam Harris and say, "Here's my questions to you, Sam Harris. You want to talk about human flourishing? You want to talk about um, people not suffering? Yet you want to talk about how we should uh, murder human beings in the womb so we can do." medical research on them let's talk about human flourishing you've heard me put that to atheists like sam harris here's what i would put to men like jordan peterson you want to talk about scripture you want to talk about what that has contributed to the human narrative you want to talk about you want to talk about objective truth? You want to talk about objective morality? <clears throat> you want to talk about these sorts of things? Where is God's voice in this? And is it on us to overlay our interpretation, our psychologizing upon what God has said, or is it rather incumbent upon us to figure out what God has said see that's the debate within genuine christianity is to determine what god has said and what he meant by that so it 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 comes with the presupposition that there is revelation now ben shapiro talks about revelation all the time there's revelation and what it if we have revelation if we have god's voice what is then our duty to figure... Our duty should be clear. 
to figure out what God said, to figure out the interpretation, the proper interpretation of what God has revealed and not to psychologize it or do any of these other things that Jordan Peterson or anybody else is doing with it. Because that's the postmodern project to put their own interpretation upon what God has said, to say that the author and perfecter of our faith has really nothing to say about this. What, what really matters is what we think he said. See, that's the problem with Jordan Peterson's approach to Holy Scripture is that he is putting his interpretation upon the revelation. And that's a problem. Why is that a problem? Because then it becomes subjective. Now we no longer have an objective, an extra nos interpretation of what is going on in reality. I would say that's a major problem. And yes, is this attractive? Of course it's attractive. Because Jordan Peterson is a silver... I mean, he's Christostom reincarnate. He's a silver-tongued individual. So is Ben Shapiro. They've got gigantic followings. As, as William Lane Craig and, and, and his host pointed out, they've got these gigantic followings. And it's not like your father is saying this to you. You know, this is how things are. This is their, these, these, these are these um, public figures who are followed by legions who will accept their word without question. And when it, become, when it comes to the word of God, especially Peterson, when he says, this is what the word of God teaches, who's to reject that? Who's to resist that? See, now, granted, I will say that there are some good things that can come out of this. But what I worry is, I'm reminded of the parable of the soils, where somebody, where the word of God is planted in the shallow soil and springs up and is excited about this. See, that's what we see going on with Peterson. There's a bunch of people just, you know, immediately excited about what Peterson is doing and what Peterson is saying. And they respond to it and they spring up immediately and like, yes, this is the idea. And when the difficulties of the world press upon them like harsh sunlight, they will fall away. That's what I worry about. See, that's, um, that's why I think in some ways Peterson can be useful if he is rescued in a certain way by us $1 evangelists. I like that. Ah, man. That is so good. The $1 evangelists. And maybe we can. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do here. But at any rate. Okay. So, that's the idea. No, I don't think Ben Shapiro and Jordan Peterson are America's new evangelists. <laughs> no way, shape, manner, or form. I think William Lane Craig is off base uh, to talk about apologetics in the way he does. But that has a lot uh, to do with his... Uh, with his decision theology and these sorts of things. 
uh, but we'll get into that maybe another time. Okay. Thank you to all of you listening on KNNA The Cross in Nebraska. Um, thank you to Steve Kozar at themessedupchurch.org. Please give to the Kenya Wall Project. People, let's get this over with. Um, I I am really looking forward to some time where it just happens. Where I, I look and, oh, holy cow. My people that listen to me did the thing that I've been asking them to do. And now we can drill this well. Okay, let's drill it well. We'll see you next week. Take care.